Today, I'm joined by one of the biggest names in UK estate agency, well known throughout many circles of estate agency on social media. Welcome to the Watkins Sofa, Angie Cooney. Thank you very much. Angie, you've been in estate agency now for an awful long time. Uh, obviously started as a child. Of course. Uh, you've won various Esther's Awards. You're very well known in the Guild and you are prolific on social media. You've had a roller coaster of an estate agency life and I'd like to find out about that. So the boys and girls out there in estate agency land can learn from your wins and your losses, the ups and the downs, the fears, the frustrations, your hopes and dreams. Uh, is that okay? Of course it's okay. Right then, so let's go back. Where, um, where were you born and who were your mum and dad? Okay, born in Birmingham. Okay. To people that come over from Ireland. So my mum and dad got married when my mum was 18, 19. By the time she was 25, had five children. Um, I'm the middle one. Born in Birmingham, and then they decided to move to a place called Rugeley in Staffordshire, which is where I'm based now. So that's, if you looked at a clock face on Birmingham, where would Rugeley be mm. then? You heard of Stafford, sort of, yep. it's sort of north, no northeast, even north, I don't know, I'm not very good on stuff so like that. So probably about 12, 1 o'clock, somewhere around there. Yeah, around okay. there. The working class part of Litchfield. Correct. There you go. There you go, the working, as I used to call it when I worked in Litchfield, a small village just outside of Litchfield. And... Um, what did you what did your mum and dad do mum um mum was um anything she could really to get the money in so she because she got five children so basically she was um the driving force behind our family without a doubt my dad was a long distance lorry driver obviously came home because got five kids but was a long distance lorry driver for most of me growing up so what did you learn from your dad growing up that are that are more is applicable now in your adult Ooh, life. I think mum and dad, to be fair, and that is if you want something in this world, you get out and get it. There was my mum invented the world, uh, the word no glass ceiling, you know, a glass ceiling, okay. whatever they say, because what? we did what we needed to. Basically, she just taught us all to do if we wanted something, we went out okay, and got so it. We're going to look at each parent separately. Your okay, sorry. No, don't worry. So, okay, let's start with your mum. What your mum. You know, there's no barriers in life. What else did she teach you? Hard work, hard work. And because we all went into, me and my, my two sisters, we went into catering. So when we were 14, when you could get jobs at 14, we were waiting tables. That's, and I think anybody that's been in the service industry, it just brings you so much. It gives you so many life skills that you take forward with you even now. So my mom, all about hard work, and people, very much a people thing, because actually what my mum is, or was, was a um, bereavement counsellor, marriage guidance counsellor, that type of lady. Excellent. What about your dad? My dad, hard work. A real hard-working Irish chap who just provided for his kids and his family. And you still got your mum and dad with you? Still got my mum and dad. And did, have, have they lost that Irish accent? No. Full on? No, there, no, they're full on. Full on. Is there any brummy in there or? No, <laughs> not one bit. Not, no, no, no. And do you still have family in Ireland? We do, both so. sides. 
And I married an Irish chap as well. Fantastic. Mm. That was that through family connections? No. Or? So, um, do you still go over there every once in a while just to see them? Um, yeah, not as... Not as often as we've had. They're getting older and a lot of them have died, haven't they? So you, you tend not to go anymore. Okay. So, um, <laughs> you were waiting tables as a teenager. Yep. Um, when you, did you go on to sixth form college or anything, or did you go get a job at 16? I got, went, stayed on at sixth form for about three months and then got a YTS at £25 a week working at the local library in Rugeley. And um, yeah, again, that was a service. So that was, type must have thing. been in the uh, mid 80s or something? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Somewhere around there. Somewhere around there. Okay. And um, why did you drop sixth form and go, go and do a YTS? Because I realised it just wasn't what I wanted to do. And I think that I'm from a very much a working class background. So it's not about bringing the money home or anything like that. It was about, I just wouldn't, I wasn't getting anything from it. There was no point. What did your parents say to you when you said you wanted to give up sixth form? Well, they weren't really bothered because what you do is you get out and you work because they never did it. So. Interesting. Right. So how did that first job go in the YTS? Fine, I smashed it, as I was always going to smash it, <laughs> as I was always going to smash it. Um, but when I used to have to work like the graveyard shift on up to seven o'clock on a Friday night, so I used to, and all the old biddies used to come back with their books and they'd like have the mills and boom. They never made any money out of me in the library, let's put it that way. So I used to let everybody off with the fines. <laughs> it's true, it's true. <laughs> but you enjoyed working in the library? Yes, yeah, yeah. You then started in, in the mid-80s um, doing various different jobs. I was actually a secretary, so I'd been to secretarial college and could type and, and whatever. So um, when I was, gosh, when I'd left the YTS, I then, gosh, you make me think about everything now. I was 17, no, I was doing 18, and I went to work in a local company. Uh, that did pig buildings of all things, and that's why I'm obsessed with pigs. And I was... my, my family are pork butchers. Oh, love pigs, love pigs. Um, and that's a whole different conversation. Yeah, I found have. one in the in the driving down the road once. It escaped out the little, so I lifted it up, gave it a little cuddle, but then popped it back. Well, my children for my fifty something birthday bought me three coops. Which was only a couple of weeks ago. Of course, of course. It's Friday. It was actually on. When was my birthday? Thursday. 58. But my daughters have bought me three Cooney Cooney pigs. So again, that's a different story. So, um, yeah, I went to work at a company called ARM, did pig buildings and things, and stayed there till I was 23. What made you change? Because, you know, it was, this is about the time that you went into a state agency. What, what happened? Okay. Um, I'm one of five children. I'm the middle one. And I've got a brother and a sister older and a brother and a sister younger. My older sister, called Kath, was diagnosed with malignant melanoma and she died a week after her 25th birthday. And that was a bit of a pivotal point, really, I'd say. And myself and my siblings, we all just had normal jobs. An engineer, secretary, receptionist. And... As you can imagine, you change your life, you change your perspective. And the one thing is, I never wanted to die at 25. And I've only ever been to Ibiza. And I've only ever just been within the confines of the wall and the, and the life that my mum and dad um, created for us in Rugeley, which is a great life. But I didn't want to 
just dying. I've been nothing to anybody and I've never made a mark on the world, really. Do you think it was a wake-up call to all of you, your, you and your siblings? Yes, but I don't think it was something we verbalised. We didn't all sit there and go, well, we're going to make something of ourselves now. I think that we all just organically gravitated to become somebody else. Have you all spoken about it since? Not really. No, so hopefully for watching this, it was... <laughs> I don't, yeah, yeah. Almost your late sister's gift was that her passing away made the rest of you actually kick on yeah. and make a difference. And have your other siblings kicked on and made a difference? A hundred percent. Do you want me to tell you what they've done? If, if, well, my older brother um, was an engineer and he didn't do very well at school and he's quite high up in social services now and really top of his game. My younger sister um, became a sister in the nursing profession. Yeah, it's pretty big in the game. Yeah, pretty big in the game. And then my younger brother uh, became a chief, I've got to get it right, detective inspector or whatever he might be. I think he's retired now. But um, he was ahead of his game as well. Excellent. So had you started a family at this time? Or? No. No, I was only, how old was I? 23. Okay. So I was engaged to somebody else. Um, that naturally went by the wayside. And I joined very, very, I bought myself a white sports car, an NG midget. And I thought I was the bee's knees. It was great. And then there was a job advertised for a company called Tushroff's Accountants in Wolverhampton. And I used to travel 17 miles a day in my little white car with, oh gosh, who is it? Fleetwood Mac, Rumours, my hair. You... So I've got really long, red, curly hair, Rumours. You can picture the scene now. You can go your own That's the way. one. And I was whizzing up and down on 17 miles to Wolverhampton there and back. And it was like the metropolis because I'd never really gone out of the sphere that I lived in. Okay. Then saw a job advertised, board there, saw a job advertised for um, Prudential Property Services that had just opened in Centre Court in Birmingham. Was this 87, 88? Yes. So just at the cusp of the, the yeah. market was flying at that time, it? Wasn't was it? flying. Prudential Property Services, a guy called Chris Haley, um, who is oh, Maitland Selwyn. I don't know whether he still is. He had come up, for, he'd come in from America and Prudential were having a field day, buying all these really well-respected estate agents and... Had a massive oh, checkbook. Oh, huge, huge checkbook. I had the time of my life. I worked with a guy, I was a PA for a guy called Ian Haynes, who'd sold out Haynes Spires around Wolverhampton, Warsaw, that sort of area. Um, and we had, I had a blast. It was great. I worked really hard, but I had an absolute blast. And that's the first time I ever caught a glimpse of my husband. There you go, because he was working with them as well. Here you go. You got the pro when, but you were a, a PA, not but a PA, but when did you make the cross from being in the background to actually on the front line, as I would say, selling houses? I used to, um, Ian and I, moved, Ian Haynes, we moved our offices from Birmingham to Warwick and it was in Jury Street opposite the NAEA, at the old building there. Mm -hmm. And we were above an office of Paul Twynham's, who I thought, I, you know, I was so well, I've got so much respect for him. I had so much respect for him. I used to sit and listen to him doing how Andrew Greenwood, that's another name, Seth Saunders. All these people of a, 
old-fashioned estate agents. And when I finished my work, I used to go down and sit and like, answer the phone. And then I went to their Leamington Spa office and just met other people there as well. Started to just absorb estate agency. Then the recession hit. Prudential had bought a, a very well-respected company called Quantrill Smith in Litchfield and they had a very high rent. I think it was 25 grand a year from memory. They had four in their sole pot and pretty, pretty oh. on its knees. And I then said to Ian, let me go and run that office. You know, in life, things just happen and they fall on your lap. And that's exactly what happened. And I went to work. Just went for it? Yeah. Do you think listening to those old school estate agents has done you good now? And I don't want to go too much detail, but I just, it just dropped into my head. Of course it has, because to be honest, forget all the fancy schmancy, everything that estate agencies tells you, everything, all the new craziest thing that's coming out and the new thing. It's about service. To me, I'm 14 in my head at the Cedar Tree Hotel in Rugeley, waiting tables, because there is no difference from what they do to what I do. You're, you're helping someone else do something. Yeah, 100% service-led industry. Because I often think a lot of estate agents think estate agency is there to serve them when in fact we're Oh, oh. yeah. Well, I mean? uh, no, 100%. But then they're the people that I do not associate myself with. No. You know, I... Why do you think, why do you think estate agents are like that? Because it's all bullshit. What, estate agency's bullshit? Because I think that some agents are just think it's all about cars and flash and, you know, going around these great houses. It's all of that, but it's that's not it. That's just what you get as a byproduct of it. If you are going in for it for money, forget it. If you're going into it because you really care about giving somebody a really good service and to make, more importantly for me, it's about making a difference. And that then takes you back to why I wanted to get out of where I was when I was all, all those years ago, purely because I wanted to make a difference. And that comes from the way you were brought up? Yeah. I wish more estate agents were like you. Okay, let's bring it back. So how was your first branch manager role then? I had a ball because it was prudential and they had a massive checkbook and I met a girl on a training course called Diane Moore. Her name's Diane Moore-Jones now. <laughs> And she stayed with me right through C Residential until I sold the lettings department. And we were only in our 20s, you know, we had a, there was a recession on them. There was a very well-respected agency in Litchfield and I just turned it upside down. I wouldn't say I was a trailblazer because I think I wouldn't be so vain, but I literally took what Prudential gave me and added in a sprinkle dust of Angie Coon, well, Angie Mulligan I was then, sprinkle dust of that and just had a, a ball. And this was in 89, 90 when things yeah. were really tough. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't think it was tough. What we didn't do, we didn't make a loss in a recession where there were hemorrhaging money everywhere, or Prudential were. And I just made, we just broke even. What did you, what did you do? You know, if, for the boys and girls watching this, we're filming this in Feb 23. Yep. We don't know where the market's going to go. I mean, so far it's so good. Mm. What did you actually do? Give some bullet points to the boys and girls out there. Didn't stop. Had an agenda every day. Had a something to do every day. Because the problem is, when, they, when you are used to the phones ringing off the hook, 
it comes to you. You then just become order takers. The real skill of an agent is to make those phones ring. There's so much opportunity now in being able to do that. So when in, you know, when I started out, it was a pen, a phone, a piece of paper, and a set of details. I bet you wish you'd had social media then. A hundred percent. Oh, it'd have been great. But then we had newspapers. Yeah. So the content that I put on social media was the content I put in the in the adverts. And that was when we sold a house, we shouted about it from the rooftop. We used to take a photo and they come in for the key and I'd have a board and it'd be like, because people like reading about people they yes, know. Yes, they do. All the time. Because you're very famous for, uh, with people, with your photos on social, love, you know, with your wall that says loving the address. Yeah, we said yes to the, or yeah. say yes to the address. Yeah. yeah. But I, that's only because I, like most good things, you regurgitate it from somebody else that you've seen. Mm -hmm. And the one great thing about social media for me and being part of all the people that I and people like you, when I meet you, it's giving me information and I absorb the information and make it work for me. But more important. And that yeah. wall, sorry, I'm interrupting you. That wall was because I'd, I'd been a mentor for somebody and, and I loved what she'd done. She'd done something very yeah. similar. You put it into action there, which is what an awful lot of people watch it on social but don't actually do anything about it. Mm. Okay, so... You could have been at the proof for the rest of your life, which did you know? I don't know if you know, they turned into the Woolwich, which turned into Hart. So you could have been working for, could. for Hart now, couldn't you? But what changed then? So I had a phone call out the blue from a chap who worked at Prudential, um, the higher echelons of Prudential. And he rang me and said, can you come and meet me on the motorway? Which I did. And he offered me a job. He was opening up an estate agent in Ashby Deladish. Oh, I like Ashby Deladish. Yeah, so do I. Travelled from there. That's where the pie's from. Um, Boys and girls, pork pies. <laughs> steak pies? Steak and Stilton steak pies. Steak and Stilton, my favourite. Oh. Love steak and Stilton, yeah. Yeah, so I, David, his mum and husband, was working in Milan. And I thought, you know what, I'll do it for a year. I'll do it. So you, this is, uh, what, early, mid-90s, you got married? Early-ish, uh, Okay, you, so you married David? No, not married then. We were just courting. You were courting? We were courting and living together. Courting, and uh, courted for seven years. And uh, oh, I was... Had you lived together? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> we... Um, That's an old phrase. I know, courting. Oh, I was using the word courting. So we... <laughs> David was working in Milan. I was having a great time in Prudential. A guy called Richard approached me and said, do you fancy opening up this? I'm opening up an estate agency. I'm coming from where I was down south. I think it was Bathway. Coming back up. Oh, Bristol, sorry. Um, and I went, yeah, I'll do it. Do it for a year. Grabbed it by the balls, as only I would, and had a ball. Loved it. Lovely market town, isn't it? A year later, they were offered, we were, we were offered, they were offered four offices of Birmingham Midshires for a quid. Not one to turn a bargain down. And... Richard said, do you, want to become a, do you want to become a partner? Well, if only I knew then what I know now. And I went, oh, that would be wonderful. How fabulous is that? So I became a partner. Did you, so were, you, were they still running the agency side as well? I so? was running the agency, so it was me. That's hard work. I used to run an agency. Yeah, you were selling houses, but then you're looking after Mrs. Miggins and her passport. Yeah, but all of a sudden, I was Angie Mulligan from being me, I'd obviously got experience in Prudential running the branches mm. there with Ian and all of a sudden had five offices that we ended up with having six and all those staff. 
How did you have to change your management style and leadership style? Because you couldn't be there all the time. Because I think the one great thing about Prudential, when I did what I was doing for them, I was a complete cow. And my ego wouldn't even have fitted in the door because I was given a great deal of power with a small p. But I thought it was power. And I thought, what a great, oh, all I've got to be is like really horrible, horrible, horrible. And you'd soon realise that that isn't the way you do anything. I think that I just then became me. When did you learn that? When, what was the penny that oh. dropped when you realised I don't... I'm not going to get the best out of my people if I'm a bitch. When I went to run the Prudential office for myself, that's when the, the penny dropped. Was that a hard lesson? No. I don't think there is hard lessons, Chris. You've just got to, you've got to take it on the chin, sit there and think, you know, all this bullshit about, I don't care what people think of me. Everybody cares what people think of them. It doesn't matter who you are. Um, you then learn to Teflon it a bit, really. I think that's what I say. You then learn a, a bit of a different veneer. And so you, I, to get the very best out of people, you've got to bring them with you. I'm about leading from the front and just took them with me. Trying to do that, and it dilutes your product. If you've got, there's just you and you're trying to do it, dilutes your product. And then there's a whole set of issues when you're a partner that you come across that you, you have to be true to yourself, really. So you were there for a few years. I was. <laughs> why, why did you walk away a few years later? Slight, um, slight, how do I word it? Um, things weren't quite where I wanted them to be financially, shall we say. Okay. So I made the choice to walk away, which I did. But you were walking away from something that was probably quite valuable. Mm, I know. But then sometimes, and then you go back to what I've learned from my past, and that is, what's the worst that can happen? You die. And of course, you learn what you, you know, losing Kath, yeah. your sister, a few years before. So then what you do, you just, that was the low point. That was a very low point for me, the lowest point probably ever. Okay, so trying to be careful with my words. Mm you felt you'd been potentially, allegedly, let down by other parties. A hundred percent, not that. Not even allegedly, a hundred percent. You'd been let down by other people in the organisation. yeah. And to the point where it felt like a stake through your heart. Yes, I think that that's probably a, a fantastic analogy of it. How did you, you know, turn that one around? You know, because you would... You'd put your heart and soul into these five or six branches. Mm. You've been let down by your business partners. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, big time. How did you... Can you remember going home that night? And what you said to your husband? Or was he, it was, was my married? boyfriend. That boyfriend. Yes, yeah. my boyfriend. Um, he took his time to get married, didn't he? He did. He did. Yeah, I know I did. Okay, if I guess so. There you go. Um, I... It was a really low point. It was horrific. And it was a Friday night. And over that weekend, we started to look at a few things. And when I realised where we were with everything, I just completely had a breakdown. And, you know, I'm not dramatic at all. I'm not a dramatic person. But it was, 
the very lowest point that I could possibly ever get to the point that I just didn't want to carry on with any of it, anything. Or anything? Anything at all. That's how dramatic and that's how, that is how low I got. And then David, as only David can do really, he went, all right, let's do it then. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's just finish it. Everything. And then obviously common sense just goes, get a grip. So I got a grip. I've read the book Men Are From Mars, Women From Venus, and what they what they say is that where I can only talk as a man and mm -hmm. talk as my as my as Joe, my wife, is when a woman is going through a bad place, the art is to let them go to the bottom. Let them go to the bottom. Don't try and save them. And do you think that's what David did with you? It is, although he wouldn't have. Um, it's not that complicated. He wouldn't have sat there and thought that, but it was the very best thing that he could do for me. So I could sit there and think, whoa, okay, yeah. I've realised and what my words, he sort of had a mirror. I'd say he's probably a mirror in front of me, him repeating it back and saying, let's do this. Then it made me think, okay, that's need to get a grip now. It's only, it's only a job. It's only a business. It's only money. And it's only money. But it taught you some good things though, didn't it? Oh yeah, I wouldn't change it, you know. I would never have changed that experience at all. Tom Panos is very good at saying sometimes the best presents come worse wrapped. In your yes. Life. And this is probably... I remember, gosh, this is racking my brains here. That particular company was tied to Provident Life, the good old Provident Life. And I remember going to the people there and talking to them and saying things. And they said, you know what, walk away walk away and I was devastated at the time thinking but I'm just having you know oh I'm this person and they just went you'll thank me for that and gosh didn't they just yeah what did you do after you walked away from the business oh very quickly I um took two weeks off okay sure this I... was an opportunity to get married um yeah we did yeah we got married but two weeks into the into that happening um as luck would have it, it's a lady called Jan Wilde. Her husband ran Dixon's in the Midlands. All right. Paul Wilde. Jan Wilde worked for what is uh, it's a Birmingham Post and Mail, and they were trying to buy newspa newspaper titles. There were two independent in this area, the way in Rugeley and Litchfield. There were two titles: Chase Post, the Litchfield Mercury, and I was approached by her to go in and break the back and I had a great time and they gave me um, a car and I worked Monday to Friday and I was kicked out of the offices at five, it was great. After working what I've, mm. after having the years of doing what I was doing to that was amazing. And I did do my job and I did it well and they gave me a bonus and with that bonus we went to Italy for Rome for New Year and in Rome David proposed and then we got married 10 months later back in Rome. There you go. That's it. It's all very, very lovely and romantic. And you ended up having a couple of kids, didn't you? So we had two kids. So got married on the um, 9th of October, 1996. Had a daughter, Lydia May, on the 10th of August, 97. And then had Claudia Rose the following November. Whilst we're on about it, what, yep. does, uh, what does Lydia and Claudia do for... Lydia May is a um, budding actor. She's at RADA. Okay. Um, and, so Claudia that's her, Rose. and Claudia Rose is in the film industry. 
both sort of things that are, you know, because you're quite famous for your videos. Do you, th do you think you were a trailblazer for them? Too? Oh, I wouldn't think I was a trailblazer. Um, I've always inspired my children exactly what my mum did for me. And that was, you can be whatever you want to be. There is no, there is no ceiling at all. You just go, you just go wherever you want to go. And as long as you do it well, my, my thing was, and my mum did this with us, whatever you want to be, do it. But whatever you do, make sure you're the best at it. And we did. Quite famously, a few days ago, you posted a picture of your husband saying he doesn't do social media. In fact, he won't even see this. Is he the opposite to you? Yes. We are the same, but not really, which sounds very Angie Cooney way to say things. Um, I've been with him for a long, long time. A lot of people don't know he exists, to be honest, because he doesn't do social media. Um, and he ended up coming from Leicestershire to come to Staffordshire, um, which is obviously where we set up home. He, he's my yin to the yang, really. What? Because you know you, you were described by by Ben Madden as a as a firecracker. I mean, we all love Ben. We do. Um, is he a calming influence on you? Within his own circle of people, he's a firecracker too. Is he? Yeah, and I think that we take it in turns to because our birthdays are, you know, day after each other. Um, we just take it in turns to lead sometimes and be strong when in others. I'm just very good with words. He thinks, he's very much a thinker. A reflector. And Yeah, and he will sit there and, you know, he'll tell me where north, south, east and west is. And he, uh, he definitely compliments the other half of me. Excellent. When did you set up your own estate agency? Okay, so um, when I had Lydia and Claudia, I was working in Derby, living in Derby. I, David was working in Gibraltar because um, he's a European surveyor, or he was at that point. I went back to Rugeley when I'd had the girls because I just felt I needed them to have a family type of environment around your mum and dad were still there? My mum and dad were still there. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how many uh, families moved back to where, where, the, where the wife's yeah. mum and dad are because you need that It's easier, care. easier. And David's family were living abroad. So basically, I um, went to work with a guy called Gary Stevens, who owned an estate agency in Rugeley. The girls were very small. They were in nurseries and things. They ended up going to the prep, a local prep school there, which they stayed at for 10 years. I went to work with Gary and I thought, you know, this is all right. And then thought, why am I doing this? I'll retire. So I hoovered the lounge three times in one day, spoke to David and he went, what the heck are you doing? And I went, I'm driving myself demented. He went, let's open up then. After so one day. Yeah, probably about a week. Okay. I just couldn't bear it. I just, you know, it's just not me. So I then approached the girl I spoke about before, Diane, from the old Prudential days, and um, she came with me and we opened up, I opened up C Residential. How was that? I loved it. Because, again, it was in an area that I know, um, doing exactly, there's no difference. Nothing's changed from when I set up 30-odd years ago. Okay. In terms of, but okay. So now you were you were your sole business partner. You might have had your husband. No, no. it was me. Just you. Just me. I was never ever. Chris, your fingers burnt. Ever. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter. It was always going to be me, and me alone because I didn't want to get to be in the position that I was in before.
with a partner, a director or anything else. They do say it's harder to get out of a business relationship than a, than a marriage. You'd mm. agree with that? I don't know. I'm not, no, getting, out my, I, I'm not getting out of my marriage. I, um, I just didn't want to muddy the water. I also knew I didn't want to build an empire because the brand of C Residential is actually quite a strong brand. David designed it. David designed the logos. He designed the image because he, he'd said to me right at the beginning, well, you start with a logo, Angie. You start with that. You start with your brand, and the brand needs to stand for something. So Coca-Cola, the sofa, the walking, as you see, you see it visually, and that's what we did. We started with that. It was going to be C properties, and then C residentially, organically changed to that. So Diane and I ran that estate agency, had a blast, loved it. How did you get, how was um, Global Financial Crash Credit Crunch in 08, 09? Carried on. Because we're not highly geared, fun. we're not highly, we're not funded by anybody, it's us. And you weren't tempted to go and open up a satellite office in no, Richfield? because when we got the 2006 boom and it was mad and there was money around, I sat there and I went, do I open up another branch or should we look at something else? And then something else was lettings. So Diane and I went along to a training course. I walked out and I went, if you want to do it, excuse me, we'll do it. We'll do it, but you're running it because I'm not I'm getting involved in any of that. You can't be doing with the... Oh, no. Oh, however, it served a purpose, didn't it? Because at the end of the day, it kept the money coming in. When the banks turned around and went to all the estate agents, money was still coming in. Are you glad? I mean, there's a plenty of people that got into lettings when the poo hit the fan in 08, 09. You, yeah. By the sounds that you'd got in two years before. Yes, we had. Do you think that was a, a wise move? A hundred... A hundred percent wise move, and it was organic. It wasn't thought about. It wasn't planned, and um, and again, it grew into this huge thing. And we actually won silver for the UK in lettings for the Esters. Um, it was great. It was great, but great because we had six in lettings, six in sales. But the problem is, you don't make lots of money in lettings. What you do, you just keep cash flow coming in. And to me, it felt like, if I'm honest, the, it was a bit like the old, when I had the six offices, spinning plates every day, spinning plates. And I didn't enjoy that. It was great. It was great for a period of time, and then it changed. It got bigger and not as enjoyable. You said before you put the cameras on that you got cancer in 2013. I did. How did that affect you? Hmm, okay. I'd, I was only ever set in C residential for 10 years while the girls were at school. 2003 to 2013, well, end of 2012. That was my 10 years. I then thought, I don't want to do this. I, I'm actually quite enjoying myself still. The Globe, which is our, our building, and I want to say, I make sounds really romantic now, but I got the keys to that on my wedding anniversary because we bought it, we bought the building, David and I, and um, we moved ourselves lock, stock, barrel into where we are on January the 3rd. Um, we opened our doors again, January 3rd, 2013. <clears throat> I'd had a lump on my neck and everybody kept saying to me, the doctor, oh, it's a gland, you run down, you, you're doing such a lot at the minute. 
and I I took that for a little while, but then it didn't go away. So we bought the building, renovating the building, living upstairs, and I trotted off to the doctor in the October, November, and I was in on the operating theatre on 31st of December 2013. And that was a bit of a that was a bit of a curveball I really wasn't expecting. Um, so it just made me reevaluate everything then and think, do you know what? What do I want? What don't I want? I took a year off work. The business still ran itself with your going. The business ran itself. I don't know whether at some point you'll want to put this bit in, but I'll tell you a very telling story about somebody that worked for me and had worked me at that at that point for nearly ten years. When I um, told Diane and this person that I had cancer, the first words out of mouth was, I'm really sorry, but what's in it for me? That, that moment, that absolute moment changed my life. Someone said to you, what's in it for me? Yep. You hadn't even said that you were going to take a year off, just I've got cancer and... I've got cancer. Yeah. I'm going to make sure I've got to obviously put everything in because I didn't know how it was going to go. I sat in my lovely little globe building with them and basically said, this is it, you know, I've got to take time out because my operation's on the 31st of December. And they said, what's in it for me? I've got two children. And you were asking them to step up to the mark? Yeah, yeah, and run. I basically said, you're going to have to work together. This is, this is true, it's a true story. I've, yeah, it's it's... Not one I like to revisit, if I'm honest, but things I need to say, and mm. I need to say it now, obviously. Um, what's in it for me? And I, I walked out of that because she'd said to me, I've got two children. And I said, do you know what? Strangely, I've got two children, a mum and dad who've buried a daughter, and I've now got to tell them I've got cancer, and I've got a business, and I've got to keep going. So I just said, at this moment in time, I cannot think about you. I've got to think about myself. I walked out, sat in the car and cried. I only cried twice, once with that, and then once when um, the insurance money paid out because I thought, it's real, it's real, I've got it. Anyway, there you go. Yeah. But your other colleague stepped, stepped oh, up to the mark. Oh, 100%, yeah. She stepped up to the mark, as she would anyway. And, yeah, she ran it. Did that other colleague stay with you in the business? Oh, what do you think? I so doubt. I did it. I took the time out for a year, but I lived upstairs. So even when I went through my treatment, I'd come downstairs and have a little look at night when everyone had gone home and um, got better because I knew I was going to get better anyway. And um, I set about it getting better by a plan, as I've got every. Now, how did you. I thank the Lord I didn't. Never had cancer, no, yeah, I yeah. to, but how did you, in your mind, yeah, everyone I talked to who has, has or had cancer have said it's all about mindset. Yeah, I think so. But I would only approach it in the only way that I ever could. I'm quite religious, so I've got a really deep faith. Um, and I looked at it and thought, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the success story. It's not going to be the cancer that killed my sister because she died... Um, as I've said earlier, a week into a 25th birthday in December. And I thought, I'm not going to be another story that we take the cancer story. This is the cancer story. Look, you can get better. And that's what I did. And that's, I was never, it was never going to de debilitate me. 
The worst part is, if, if you look at timings, if ever there's a worst time of timings, David was driving me to the hospital on the 31st of December and we had a call from Guernsey where his dad was to say your dad's dying. And I said, you can't go, you've got to get me because we've taken the daughters up to David's mum's in the Lake District. And I said, whatever you do, get me through to get me into hospital, get me through the operation. As soon as that's over and I'm out of it, then you can, you know, do what you've got to do with your dad. And that was the, that's the plan. That's what we did. And then um, 23, 24 days later, when I'd had the operation, I could fit to fly. Um, I was at, physically at the doctor's and his dad had passed away. But David, in the meantime, had taken the children there. You, you then have a different, when you've got children, you have a different perspective anyway, I think, because it had to be, I'd got to tell them I'd got cancer without scaring them. I'd got to tell my mum and dad without them knowing because I, I think I took my sister with me and I basically said oh they're doing tests and they're going to have an operation because I don't know what the lump is we knew full well what it was but we just needed to I needed to make put a veneer on it I don't want people to be serious with me I needed to just deal with it my way you've obviously told them since oh yeah they knew yeah. Yeah. they knew but, but you know the, the drama needed to be within me. I needed to sort it myself, Chris. You were protecting your parents because obviously they'd lost their daughter. Oh, what? yes. Protecting my children. David had obviously got things going on with his life. You just, you go into mode. You go into mom mode. Everybody else mode. And there was time for me to think about it when I was having the treatment then. Because then you, you know... I was radioactive for five days and sat in a room. Do you know what I mean? So you had the operation. Did you have radiotherapy and chemotherapy? No, because I've said, this is bizarre, okay? Had the operation, sat with them and said, right, what's the treatment? So what we do is we do radioactive iodine, um, which I think was around the April time. So we'll take it out, radioactive iodine, then decide the course of treatment. So I went to Reiki and all of these things because I'm very into holistic stuff. Uh, read up on it, thought, right, I can get out of this in three days. I don't have to be the five days. I can be not act radioactive in three days. So I literally went in with all my books. My sister bought me bloody loads of this water everywhere. And I literally sat and drank it all out. And within three days, I was walking out the thing if anybody's ever had radioactive iodine, it's bizarre. You sit in a, you're in a room, obviously radioactive, and they measure you. They measure your radioactive levels. And the only way to get rid of it is to wee it out. And that's what I did. So I drank, 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 drank. Um, yeah, and then I went back. God, didn't need it. Didn't need any other treatment. No follow-up treatment. That was it. So the surgeon was able to whip it out. Well, when I, there was only one lump I could feel. When I had the um, ultrasound, they found three. When they opened me up, there were 24 and 12 were cancer. So it spread really quickly. There you go. But I, I've lived to tell that tale. And they were all in your neck, where they? All in my neck, clothes. yeah. And then what he did, I'm a bit like a tree now. Every 10 years, I get a line around it, so it just looks like one of them, which is great. So... <laughs> So you, you came out the other side. I did. Still loving a state agency. Mm. You got to 2018 and you sold off your lettings book. Mm. What is that? 
because um you said earlier on that you felt you were spinning plates i was yeah and i, and I think i'd continue to spin those plates david had got uh, something on his head and at that point i thought i'm selling i'm selling and the i'm whole selling lot or just the lettings just lettings and i thought you know what i can cope doing it once and being that really brave soldier cracking on thought if there's something wrong with him i'm not just not doing it so i took i decided decided to set the stress out of my life you were enjoying a state agency. The, the lettings was almost wasn't making money, but was cash flow. Market was doing okay. Yeah, yeah. So you just thought, I don't need this. Correct. And I didn't need it. So I then rang a guy, wasn't I? Good David Kerwin, a good friend of mine, Hunters, uh, and he came along. And within a few days, that was it. Deal done. So they best decision I ever made. You lost your business, not business, well, colleague that you've been with you for years. Mm. Is she still working in the town with Hunters? No, she, no, God, no. She, um, she obviously set up sea lettings, you know, that was, that was yep. her baby. She runs her own successful lettings consultancy now in a different town and that's what she does. Okay. You don't miss selling the lettings business? No. Balls you to death? Yes. Yeah. And because, Diane and I had set that up, though, with no experience of lettings at all. We just went on a course and thought we could do this. So it was a blank piece of paper. And on the piece of paper, we put, what are the expectations? Our expectations, really, to run it, to run it in a way that um, I would want to be treated. Mm. So. The last few years you've been purely residential. Yeah. The market share is impressive and ruthless. I've checked the numbers out. Mm. Um, what's the future? Million dollar question. Right. I always said I have to have goals. My goal was to win the Esters for the UK. That was on my dream board, my fridge for years. Okay. Um, and we won it. And we won it. And great feeling great great feeling and then that was the that was going to be the catalyst for me selling um still might be an option end of its 10th year but it's the end of our 20th years this year so the feelers are out how, how did you feel angie you know you've won the national award last autumn autumn of 22 have you felt a little rudderless since then? Because you've got nothing to go for. No, actually. Because quite often that happens. It does, and I can understand why you you think that. Because I've hmm, okay, when I won the Esther, and I've got these you know these videos of me just putting my head down, could not believe it. Okay, couldn't believe it. Still can't really, if I'm honest. And um, that was great. And then I thought, that's it then, I've committed to selling. In my own head, I've committed to selling the day I won the Esters. That might still be a possibility. It may. However, and I'll tell you what the however is, the market has changed, which has given me fire back in my belly, like you yeah. wouldn't believe. Great. And Michelle Gallagher won the... Um, oh, yeah, she did. Best, best agent guide. Best, thing. best estate agent guide, yeah. But actually, I've never, ever even qualified to be in the top 20%. So I'm not into that, but she won that on the double and I thought, mm, okay. So if you're going to see residential now on the Esther sheet, because I've got a sheet, and on the bottom it says, um, we are not the Andy Murray of the state agency world. We are Nadal. There you go. 
So Michelle Gallagher's realizing that you can win it twice in a row with the best estate agent guide. Yes. You're now you want the double. Yes. Which I'm gosh, however, whenever this goes out, we've got so many days. I think there's seven days left before the our deadline for getting the Esters in. Okay, so I, this will come out after that deadline. Okay. Because uh, we're in the middle of Feb now. Um, if you don't win it this year, will that give you a fire in the belly to go for it again? It doesn't have to be back to back, does it? No, no. No what? No, I I wouldn't sit there and think I've got to go for it again. We won our first Esther in 2004. And every time we entered, we, en we won an award. Um, I don't feel the desire to go for it. After, again. Sorry, I don't understand. You, you okay. said Michelle inspired her, Okay, you. I'm sorry. Her winning that award, right, twice, made me think, I'm going to try and do it twice. If I don't get it, if I don't get it, I won't sit there and think, I'm going to go again because I want to win it again. It just, for this particular moment in my life, okay. when I won that award, I was a bit rudderless. To use your phrase, I was rudderless and thought, oh, I've reached where I wanted to be. And, and am I where I wanted to be? And do I feel like I was expected to be? And how did, yeah, how did you feel? How did you expect to feel? Apart from a few people saying, well done, and a few pictures. Of um, what's it like? What's I didn't like expect to be humbled. Go on. I felt really, really humbled by winning that. Because a lot of people would be cocky as hell, wouldn't they? But then the humbleness comes from your family upbringing, isn't it? And, and, and your current, and David now. Yeah, I think that the, I didn't expect to feel humbled. Because you said to me, you said to me, you, you, your management style was cocky and confident. Then, then. from a few years ago, Did yeah. Did that just come through maturity? I am, yeah, I imagine so. Because all the, all the best estate agents that have ever sat on that sofa the two things that make them awesome is hunger with humbleness. Oh, okay. Okay. And the one thing that I've learned from this chat today is, is and I, I have seen aspects of it in the past, but you are loud and proud and on your social media. But when you actually get to know the real Andrew Cooney, that whilst that is you, it's not you. No, it's not me. It's mm. not you're not putting a facade on. It you're you're putting a, a, a not a veneer because that is you. But at the same time, uh, uh, underneath there is a there is a there is a there is a wife, a mother, and a daughter who just wants to do proud by the people who you love and they love you. Yeah. And coming back to the thing about serving people which is, comes from your teenage time of, of, of mm. ser serving when you were 14. Yeah. I don't think you could ever retire, could you? No. No, and that's why I think that I'm, I'm throwing it out there, really. I don't have a plan now, Chris, and that's the truth. I don't have a plan. My plan is to, to see where it takes me. I think that's probably the, the best thing I can describe Cause, that as. Because isn't C residential you anyway? Mm, it is. And let's be honest, you don't get that much nowadays for selling a residential no. estate agency. But then I don't need to sell it either. I'm in a very fortunate position. I don't need to sell it. Um, obviously, people are into franchises, aren't they? And I know it's a very franchisable brand. 
I wouldn't want to do that either. Because the thing is now, I've realised that I am Angie Cooney and I am C Residential. The brand is very strong and I'm very proud of it, but there's no point diluting what you've got. And that once you do, once you dilute that, then the magic wears off. Away from these awards and away from the, the, the you know, people speak highly of you in the industry, putting all that aside, do you still love the day-to-day? -day? Oh, I love it. I mean, last night, yesterday, I was there and I'd obviously gone out for, I'd gone out sort of, um, for, a few time, for a few longer shandies. <laughs> um, but in the morning, I'd gone up and gone into the office because I knew I was sort of got a schedule this week and um, typed all the set to the details. And because I am that person and I know I've got people there, and I, I'm at a very, very happy place at Sea Res at the minute because I've got people in exactly what I want them to be doing. And um, I don't need to be there all the time. Um, so you're almost kind of. You know, you're not there from nine to five, six days a week. So you're kind of working three or four days a week, which means you st you're at that time of life where you don't have to be, you don't want to be working six days a week, 12 hours a day, do you? No, I just do. Whether you're enjoying your life. Five, <laughs> I do three days a week at 18 hours a day. It's one of those. <laughs> I, I do what I want to do now. And I think that the people that I've got around me, and, and I've matured that way, I get people around me now that I don't want the drama, Chris. I don't want drama in my life. It's, it's having great people around you probably one of the biggest enablers of you to, to be happier as a boss. Yes, it is, yeah. And if you look at my social media, it's about us having fun and making funny little video, TikTok videos. I love it. And how have you been able to do that? How have you been able to attract the right sort of people? Which, let's be honest, is one of the most difficult things. Because I've stopped listening to other people. And if there's any advice, if anybody ever wants advice off me, and that is be true to yourself. Employ the people that you want to employ. Don't convince you to... I, I always listen and, I, and everything I do is on a gut instinct. And whenever I do anything and get persuaded by other people is when I become unhappy. And, um, yeah, I think that, that, if anything, just get people to believe in themselves. There's a lady that I'm um, mentoring at many as part of Agents Together called Kate Fox, um, Fox Beckett, down in wherever she is. And I've said that to her, just be yourself. Just start to do, only do it if it feels good to you to do it. Angie Cooney, thank you for your time today on The Watkins Sofa. Thank you for sharing your story with us. And I hope you out there in, in the state of letting agency land have got something from, from that. Thank you, Angie. Thank you very much.